Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 37 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Andrew Whitaker, all the way from County Cork. Andrew is the founder of Culture Coworking. Andrew, you're very welcome to the podcast. Arian, thank you very much for having me. Uh, delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. As usual with guests, we go back to the start. Were you born in Cork? Uh, yeah, that's, I was born in Cork, yeah. So I've been kind of living there all my life, really, yeah. So um, I lived in Dublin for, for about four years when I was in college. But uh, apart from being an American and Australia on the G1s and traveling, I, I'm a Cork man, could have lived there all my life. Nice. And there's a couple of questions around growing up in Munster and, and abroad and Dublin as well. And we'll get to them. But sticking with the young Andrew, have you got any standout favourite memories of growing up in Cork? I suppose it, it's, it's such a nice place. It's a small place. Like we say it's a village. Um, and, you know, like I have friends, I'd be four years old with the same primary school, same secondary school. And now like I'm 40 in July with that same kind of friendship and stuff like that. And all my family was around me as well, my cousins. So I kind of grew up with like with a lot of, you know, a lot of fun as a kid, you know, it was a great environment. Um, and it was funny, we were talking about the, what it was like in the eighties, uh, my friends and just the memories. And we said, well, it was kind of all gray and how, you know, the economy wasn't great at the time, but we, we just really remember the nineties. And we kind of know this, remember the switch. Like I remember New Year, 1989, 1990, and just, Going to a new decade and how everything changed and like we went from this gray color to the luminous colors and everything and it was just it was weird you know it was kind of like this whole different change in ireland that we kind of lived through it so it's a it's a beautiful county cork i've been many times uh, i've stayed over many nights in cork for our international audience or some of our Irish people who may have never been to cork if they were to go to cork and had a full day what one thing would you say that they've got to check out and got to see I suppose if they arrived in Cork City, you know, grab their breakfast in the English market and then, you know, for lunch, head out towards Kinsale. Uh, if you like food or if you like nice walks, it, it's 30 minutes outside Cork City. It's just a lovely little village. And then, you know, the afternoon, you have great beaches. So if you want to go for a swim or kind of surfing and stuff like that, you know, it's just we have such a good coastline in Cork that I recommend getting out, seeing our beaches. Absolutely. Um, sticking with young Andrew, before we move on to your time in Dublin, I'm curious to know, who do you think had the biggest impact, and it could be multiple people, on you growing up in Cork? In terms of business or in general, really? In general. I suppose it's um, Cork is such a sporting place Like that you, you follow the sports stars, like, you know, I've grown up with like Roy Keane, Dennis Airwood, Sonny O'Sullivan. You know, you, you watch these guys and, and they're winning an international level. Like they're the best out there. And you're kind of like, I want to be in that. Like you want to play soccer. And then afterwards, Munster Rugby, you know, starts to really develop. And I was a bit older for that. But you, you see what a group of, say, 15 people that weren't on paper stars, but they, they played for the jersey and what they achieved. And, and for Munster to be European champions, you know, to come from that area, for us to be the best in Europe and have world-class players, you know, that was something you did look at and say, wow, that's brilliant, you know, they're world-class, we can get to that level. 
Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin, Sonia Sullivan, Munster Rugby. Um, if you could only watch two sports for the remainder of your life, what would they be? Um, rugby, and I'd have to say hockey because I play a lot of hockey. So I'm um, still playing at my age, but uh, I grew up kind of in seven. I was playing hockey all through, like, and you know, a lot of friends, and I you know a fair few guys, and say the Irish men's team and stuff like that. So I'd have to give them the shout out. I know that when you were at DIT, you were played at the Irish Colleges hockey squad. What got you into that? Because that's not a one of the most popular sports in Ireland. No, it's I suppose it's a school. Like I, I went to St Luke's in Douglas, and we we played hockey and soccer, and soccer was my first love. And then I went to Ashton, um, and I suppose I looked at Ashton, and it was unique. We had about sixteen guys who were really good at hockey. Um, it was a hockey school, so I just kind of stuck with the hockey, stopped playing soccer, even though I loved playing it kind of for fun. Played hockey, then went to Harlequins, my club, great club, and um, a lot of my friends from school went up there as well. And then DIT, it was just, it was, you know, I wanted to play in college, and you could play in college while also playing for your club back in, in courts, and there was no um, conflict, so I didn't have to give up. And that worked. And then the Irish colleges, we would go to um, uh, Holland in 2001, and that was a great experience. And you're playing semi professional sides, so for us, it was like a huge step up. Um, but the experience was brilliant, you know, and just to meet these guys. And, and hockey is such a small community that you you kind of know everybody. And it's a great circle of friends. Like, and these guys I've been playing with since I'm like 10. And I'd still see them, you, you know, and now we're moving into the, the master's level of hockey. So we're playing into pros and like you're going up to the all around Ireland and you're playing guys from Ulster and Leinster. And it's a very good competitive level. Okay, it's a bit slower. Like for us, we're not chasing after 18-year-olds, but the guys still have the skill levels and the... And it's just great fun, and you know your competitive juices are always there. You, you, it doesn't end. You know when you get over forty, you're still as competitive, and that's what I like playing. Social side is also very good. I actually went to see a hockey game before in Finland, and I thought it was amazing, incredibly entertaining. And and I've and I've since been over to America and uh, several times, four or five times a year. Whenever I go over, I do try to get to see a hockey game. Um, I've referenced that you played uh, Irish College Hockey's uh, Irish College's Hockey Squad. You're a Munster rugby fan. You've touched on. I know that you're a member of the Monkstown Bay Sailing Club. You're into hiking as well. What's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know about you? Um, it's probably my guilty pleasure, uh, and that's the Eurovision. Uh, Eurovision. Somebody, yeah, I love the Eurovision. I actually went to the Eurovision in 2010 to Norway and Oslo. Um, and I had a ball. Like it, it, I don't know what it is. I think it's just it's just such entertainment. Um, oh, interesting. Was that that was that that heavy metal rock band that won that year that you said you went to? No, um, that was the year uh, Nina. I think satellite won from Germany. Lordy, the Finnish band. They were about two thousand. I'm showing my knowledge here. I actually, yeah, uh, it's no. Um, Eve Camden was there from Ireland, and we were at the semi-finals. She got to the final, so it was it was great. But it's just a wonderful experience. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's my guilty pleasure. A few people know that, but uh, you know, it's, it's you know, get embarrassed about. Interesting. No, no, absolutely no shame. You've touched on that you lived in Australia. I have to ask. I lived. I spent a year living in Perth. What part of Australia did you live in? I lived in Sydney on Bondi Beach or County Bondi as as a time. Like you know, so many Irish people there. Yeah. Um, it was a ball though. I, I loved it. Like I was on Curlewis Street, so the beach was ten minutes away from me. And every day after work, you're out to the beach. It's just brilliant. That might be the answer to my next question. Have you got any favorite memory from your time in Oz? 
it's um i suppose traveling but like i played soccer for a team called north sutherland rockets and it was great so they got to meet like a lot of australians um i got into watching rugby league with them and stuff and i got to see the real kind of australian experience and we traveled around we did creation road together and stuff like that when a lot of guys i met irish guys they would just stage at sydney or stay with the same group so i went out on my own and i got to meet a load of different people and I remember when we did Gracian Road, there was two Australians, one English, um, Austri Austrian, it was myself. You know, so it was a nice range of different nationalities. And you get to know everybody that way. But I think it was just a soccer. Um, I started off and I was just crap. Um, but over the season, I got better and I got to know the guys. And they kind of, I earned their trust and respect. And towards the end, it was just a ball. Like, and then we'd have the you know, barbecue after every game and stuff like that. It was just a really good fun social side a great way of being in there when you're on your own yeah i certainly had some great memories there as well i like that you say that you went to explore parts of australia unlike some irish um i spent most of my time on the west coast and i had an australian friend that said to me one day do you want to go to my family home in the outback and it was maybe a six-hour drive and at one point we had passed a signpost about 50 minutes prior and my friend Chad said to me, do you remember the signpost we just passed about almost an hour ago? And I said, yeah. And he said, that was the start of the land of my next door neighbor. And we've got another 45 minutes to drive to the end of the land of my next door neighbor, which I was told, like, you'd never find that in Ireland that you could drive. Like his next door neighbors, one richer next door neighbor that had a helicopter to get from one end of his yeah. land to the other. It was that big. Like what? the Northern Territories up there, like the farms the size of Switzerland and Ireland. It's just yeah. mind-boggling from what we come from. It's, it's, it's definitely crazy. Um, you are a business owner. You own uh, Culture Coworking. What's your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur? I suppose it's kind of the freedom, really. Um, you know, you kind of make your own decisions. You can set your direction. You know, your successes are your own, but your failures are your own. But still, like, the opportunities to, to just go and make it work. And there's nothing really stopping you bar, you know, yourself. Um, yeah, and that's great to have that freedom where you, you can say, look, I wanted to go as big as I can or as, as small as I wanted to. Okay, bar the pandemic, normally you have that control, but um, I think it really is just make my own decisions. Nice, good answer. Um, look, this one, I was, I didn't know where to ask this question because I don't want people on my podcast to sound like a parrot. Um, by that, I mean repeating questions that they get asked on other podcasts. But I've got it. Your location that you're in is steeped in history. It was where Henry Ford opened the first purpose-built factory outside of America in 1917. It must be pretty cool knowing that you own a piece of the where Henry Ford set up the first factory outside of North America. How did that come about? Well, it, it, it's it's great. Like we don't own it, we lease it from the park who owned the space. But um, came back to luck, really. You know, I was looking for a place and I was talking to my brother-in-law, John, and he knew someone, Dermot, who was the park manager here, and I met Dermot, and he showed me this, um, where we are now, and it was just a kind of perfect fit, and it was from pure luck, and then I kind of went, oh yeah, this is the old Ford and Dunlop factory, and he said, yeah, it is, and, and where we are, I think, is kind of the old power station, because there was like holes in the roof for pulleys going up and down, um, and then he's got all the old photographs there, so he showed me all the history of the buildings and like where we are as a listed building. So it's great to be part of that history, but also the fact that I think now in the park itself, there's more people working than there was at the heyday of Ford Dunlop State. So wow. like the park is kind of Cork's best kept secret, but there's so wow. many businesses in the area. Um, 
and they're thriving and stuff like that. And like we're in the city, but not in the city. So, you know, you can walk from where we are to the site plan about 10 minutes, but then we're right next to the leaf or the marina for walking, which is a little pedestrianized. And it, it's a great kind of spot. I know where Monkstown is in Cork. Is it close to that? It's um, it's probably about 15, 20 minutes by car away from it. Like it's 10K. I, I walked it a few times in Black Rock because there's the, the Greenway you can do it straight out to Monkstown, which yeah. is brilliant. Um, we're on the same kind of river and then Monkstown's out by the harbour. Nice, nice. Um, I'm sure you've come up against challenges. We were speaking prior to this, you know, over the last 18 months. What's one challenge or objection that you've come up against that you probably didn't anticipate or expect or even account for? And how have you so far tackled that? I suppose, it, like, the biggest challenge outside of the pandemic has been, you know, the fear you have yourself. Like, when you're going out on your own, I remember talking to someone, um, I said, look, I'm scared. They said, well, if you're not scared, there's something wrong with you. You know, you need to have that fear to kind of drive you. And if you know where you want to be, but and you know where you're starting from, but it's the kind of the middle of figuring out how to do it. That's the challenge. And I find that you find out just what you're capable of because you have to, you learn so much by being on your own. Yes, like I've had so many people help me, but you know, you, you realize just what you're capable of doing and you figure stuff out and everything. Like you got to celebrate the little victories you have. You know, I, I've just building toilets for me. Like I look at those toilets and say, yeah, we got this working. So, wow, that's an, that's an achievement. Like, and it's stupid, but you're going, that's what I built. Um, and you look at the desks and I get a kick out of people coming in that I don't know using my premises. You know, renting a desk. It's like strangers want to use my premises. You know, I've created something here and you're going, wow. Like you still have that. If you don't get that, I think you're in the wrong business. But I'm like, this is so cool that, you know, they like what I've done. And once you get that rush, you know, it, it's brilliant. But believing in yourself, and you always have that kind of imposter syndrome is what you talk about. And, and look, we're looking to expand in the future and we're hopefully coming to the end of this pandemic. But you always have a little bit of fear at the end going, what if it doesn't work? What if it fails? Yeah. What happens then? And it's just managing that. You you talk about fear. And I think every business owner, entrepreneur has has fear when they start a new project or even in the middle of the business when they're looking to expand, uh, especially when COVID hit. Um, but this question is, is personal for you because you spent most of your life in the car business and now you're in the workspace business. It's a strange transition. I don't know if you knew much about the business you were getting into. If not, did that bring more fear um, so I suppose my question is a two-part question. One, did you know much about the business you're getting into? Because I'm sure that would have added to the fear if you didn't. And what what was it that had you moved from? You know, I know you spent time at Avis in Australia and Ireland and then in the family business, but why such a 180-degree switch? Well, um, I, I suppose I, I always wanted to go at my own. And like my family... We're kind of an entrepreneurial family. Like we've been, we've been motor trade now, but we were in horse and carriages. We've been in hatcheries. We've been in butter, paper, iron. So there's a history of all different kind of things that the family has done, whether it's um, direct family or cousins or, or, or nephews and stuff. And I didn't do much or know much about co-working as such. I kind of looked at it and I said, okay, this is an interesting concept. I think this will be something that would work. Um, when you're in the motor trade, you have a very kind of specific set of skills for that industry. And I said, what yeah. can I transfer from motor trade 
into another industry because I wasn't going to be able to work in Mother Street because of the family connection and stuff like that. So I knew I had to go something different. And I kind of felt that co-working is like my work-life balance at times is skewed. You know, in the motor trade, you could be working six days a week for the first three months. And I figured, you know, the concept of nine to five job is it's dead. You know, people want the flexibility. I have a young daughter. I want if there's someone like me who's looking to have somewhere where they can work while being able to kind of drop their kids to school or spend time with them and and work the hours that work for them and their family. I said, there's got to be more people like that out here. So I kind of did a small bit of research, looked at a few things, met a couple of other space um, owners, and I kind of went, yeah, I think this is what you're doing. So I said, let's go in a slightly different way. And I suppose the main thing I was going to look at was flexibility. So the 24-7 access, the free parking inside, put the showers into the work-life balance. So you can come here, and this should have everything you need for when you're outside of the home. Yeah also allow you to have a very good work life, uh, home life and stuff like that. Um, and then when I was looking for the industry, I kind of said, okay, it's got to be something that can't be replaced by the internet and is scalable. And I thought the co-working was certainly going to grow. I, I thought what's happening now is probably it's going to happen five years. You know, I, I didn't think it's going to happen so soon. The pandemic has definitely accelerated the change from remote working and to hybrid working. And like none of us really know what the future exactly is going to be in terms of offices. Like people will go back to offices. I have no doubt because they want to. Some people want to work from home full time, but there's definitely an area of people that will go to the office a couple of days or maybe co-working space a couple of days, and we're positioned for that. And that's where I think the culture will, will, will grow. Um, and I said, look, you know, from the motor trade, I deal a lot with people. I'm very good with people. Culture is all about dealing with people. So I said, look, that's probably the key thing. And I took a chance and I said, it's either going to fail quickly or survive very quickly. You'll know within six months. And I yeah. said, trust your gut. And so I did. Respect, respect. Um, for anyone who looks at your LinkedIn, it would be easy to know that you are uh, a learner and you like to invest in yourself. You know, uh, you went to DIT. Uh, 1999 2003 studying business information studies you've done an mba in ucc uh, and you've done a lot of others since there's there's uh, a longer list than most in terms of universities or colleges that you've been to you've also read a lot you read a lot you read 52 books last year i'm gonna ask you are you what's your current book you're reading and what's the your your favorite book you've ever read Okay, I can answer the first one easy enough. Um, I'm reading two at the moment. I'm reading um, the Robert Caro's biography of Robert Moses, The Power Broker, which is about the building of New York and the, the, the parks and everything and how it's like a thousand pages. Great book, but, you know, it's I'm kind of plowing through that. And then I'm reading um, another book, Minds Bigger, which is a story about um, is it Tom Perkins building Maltese Falcon, the largest um, clipper. So a big yacht, like, so um, you're right. I, I love reading and I suppose that I'm kind of very much like um, Warren Buffett, Mark Cuban, Bill Gates, you know, they say, I'm trying to read a book a week and I try and do that because it's like compound interest. You, you know, you, you learn so much from everybody and I listen to podcasts and like your, your podcast, I get, I get an awful lot from you and your guests and I kind of have that in car when I drive to work or I might be going for a walk. So there's always an opportunity to, to get so much. Um, in terms of a favorite book, it's it's hard. Like there are the, the kind of the classics. Um, like I loved Lord of the Rings growing up as a kid. Um, some of the like the Freakonomics series, I read those because 
they make you think about things that are you think are pretty straightforward, but in a very different yeah. way. And I like that. I like when someone kind of comes up with something and going, "Whoa, this is this is weird." Like one of the books that I really liked um, recently is Utopia for Rebus, you know, by Thomas okay. Bergman, I think. Um, and that's just very practical about how we can kind of do things a bit better and learn from other countries and stuff like that. And that's that's the mindset I have is that everybody meet on learn something from them and you know you never stop learning and if you do like you, you have a problem and that's why I put to these courses because you learn from the course you're on but you also learn from everybody in the, in the class that's a good mindset to have I personally like physical books that I could get my hands on and yeah. read um, but I was talking to a friend recently and this friend is an incredibly high achiever uh, every second of the minute counts I'm not necessarily like that but he told me of an app, I haven't used it yet, called Blinkist, which essentially condenses the books into the key learnings in 15 to 20 minute audio books. Instead, I don't know if you've ever heard of it for any of the listeners. Okay. Um, what continues to drive you? Because you invest a lot in yourself, whether it's the books or the university, things that you go to. I'm sure there's other ways you invest in yourself as well. But what continues to drive you? supposed to be better just simply you know always improve something and i take my father told me one very good piece of advice said every day i go into work um i try and do one thing better or try and add one new thing and, and that's that's it like you you know the big changes happen to start but if you want to keep improving you just gotta keep making the small changes and eventually they add up to something very good and whether it's been culture being better or myself being better in terms of decisions i make or even on the sports pitch like i'm walking off 40, you know, instead of the hockey pitch going, okay, I can do this better next week. I can try this. Or you know, once you have that mindset that you you always can improve, you can get better. I think that's what drives you forward. Um, the danger is like that, you know, maybe you don't celebrate your successes. And I've done that in the past where, you know, things have gone well. I just said, all right, that's done. What's next? So you need to kind of balance it and say, yeah, okay, look at this and say, well done, you achieved this but still have to say, look, what am I going to do the next day? Yeah. I saw it on your LinkedIn. I regret it if I don't ask. Who do you think is better, Sexton or O'Gara? That's a very tough question. Um, like, I suppose I got to know O'Gara. We, we had him in a, a Volvo when I was there like, as a brand ambassador. I got to know him pretty well, and I knew this guy was going to be a brilliant coach because his mindset, like, he, he's a bit like Roy Keane in the sense that they, they know what they have but they work and they prove and prove and prove it. And mentally, they're so strong. Like he, he, Agar said one great thing to him. He said, if you don't back yourself, how do you expect anybody else to? Mm. And that was after what happened in the second Lions test in 2009. I was talking with it. I said, yeah, it happened. But you have to keep back yourself. So like in terms of mental, Agar streets ahead and what he achieved with that monster team and with Ireland, he's a legend. But you look at Sexton and in fairness, Leinster are a completely different side without a minute, um, he's so durable, he's so brave. Uh, he's a guy that is driving the standards on the pitch the whole time. And, and when you play with people like that, it makes you better. And yes, like at times he's annoying and I hate to see him in the blue against us when we're in the red, but you have to respect what, what he's done. And I hope he makes alliance. I think he should be 10. And I was thinking, my God, this guy is kind of too old, but the season he's, he's had, I mean, he makes such a difference with the two. It's hard to say um, who is better. Like they're 
Let me ask you it this way then. They've both had two phenomenal standout drop goal kicks, O'Gara against Wales and Sexton against France. If you could relive one of those moments, which moment would it be? Uh, O'Gara. O'Gara, okay. That's, that was just the pressure kick. And O'Gara, like, in, in that situation, if you go, give me the ball. And if you look at his thing, like, he's just a history of making the clutch kicks. And, and it's funny, he learned from what happened in Northampton. And he built on it and he became such a pressure kicker. Sexton, O'Gara's a better drop goaler than Sexton. So unfortunately, you'll have to go for O'Gara as well. Fair, fair. For anyone who wants to see those clips, um, I, I Sexton against France and O'Gara against Wales, I'll leave a link to them below. You can check them out. I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade. So it's now 2030 and you're looking back on the last nine, 10 years. You can answer this personally, professionally, or a mixture of both. What would you like to have achieved looking back on the last 10 years? I suppose I'll go the easy one, culture first. Um, you know, I'd like to be kind of multiple locations, maybe even a couple of international. Um, you have to really grow the business to the potential of it. Myself, then I'd like to be kind of involved in whether it's the the local Cork economy or a national level, trying to give back to people who have helped me and just say, this is my experience and the knowledge that I have and you know, help other people come along and and that's really where I want to be kind of happy. Like I'll be 50, you know, the 40 to 50 is kind of the crucial 10 years of your life. You have the experience, a bit of experience, but you also have the energy to really go for stuff. And that's where I want to the next 10 years to really see what I can achieve and uh, use my ability. Like, and I suppose that's the worst thing. You don't want to finish your career or say, I never achieved what I should have. You know, don't give it your, your best shot. You've got a young daughter now and a wife. Uh, I don't know if you have any animals, but pretend all of them are safe, but your house is burning down and you can save one item, one, one, one item only. What is that? It's probably the family album, really. It's the photos. Like, you know, the lockdown have, have taught us one thing is like, you could have all the money and everything, but you can't do it without you know, the important things. Um, like at the start of the lockdown in, in March, um, we like i lost a customer lockdown happened 80 percent of my business went in four days wow. my father in law died in the same week so all that stuff happened and like the only stuff that you know really resonates is losing my father-in-law and so this time i spent my family over lockdown everything else you get past so family is has been kind of really struck home it's the most important thing and yes it's, it's been a horrific 12 months for everybody in business but you know We'll get through it. Say if culture didn't work out, we'll go again. You know, yeah. but you can't replace your family. I like that attitude. I like that attitude. I'm gonna squeeze in one final question. COVID's lifted, pretend it has, uh, and you can travel anywhere. Is there any location that you're dying to go to? Yeah, um, New York. Hopefully, we'd love to go to New York for um, my 40th birthday in the summer. So I don't know whether we'll be able to do that or not, but. Um, so we have to wait and see, but it's. I love going to America. It's great for kind of a yeah. couple of weeks to to get the kind of the balls and the whole can do attitude. Um, I still love coming back to Ireland, but you know, America is. I just find it refreshing, and you kind of get a bit of a lift and say, "Yeah, these guys are with their company. I can do it with my company." Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I wish you all the success in the future. I tip my hat to you for what you've done uh, over the last decade. Um, and I hope to have you back on in the future in, let's say, 
five, ten years back, looking back on what you've achieved over the next five years. Uh, but for the last 30, 32, 33 minutes, thank you for being my guest today, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you for watching me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And well done on your podcast series. It, it's superb. So thank you for having me as a guest. Beautiful morning. Get a song about morning, babe.